Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Hi everybody, welcome to Dan Snow's History Hit. I'm just in a, a forest in the highlands of Scotland, the Cairngorms National Park. I'm just beside the crystal clear waters of Loch Island. It means in Gaelic, Loch of the Island. And near the middle of the loch, there's an island on which there's a 13th century castle. It was once the castle of Alexander Stuart, who was known as the Wolf of Badenoch. Anyway, this podcast has nothing to do with this loch, or indeed the Hans of Scotland. This podcast is a repeat, one of my favourites from the back catalogue. I went to the Lofoten Islands off the coast of Norway in the Arctic to sail on a Viking replica ship. I mean, it's difficult to fit so many cool words into one sentence. We went out with a group of reenactors, people that reconstructed this ship, and quite early on in the day, they started drinking viking age moonshine so things get a little bit loose by the second half of this podcast but do enjoy it if you want to go and check out the back catalogue of all these podcasts they're all available at history hit tv it's my new digital history channel we've got a couple of new programs going up this week we've got one about a roman villa excavating a roman villa another is looking at all the evidence about what might have happened to the princes in the tower both those new documentaries exclusively up on history hit tv this week and you can of course go there use the code pod one pod one and for just one pound you get a month for free and then for the month after that your first month of being a user a member of history hit tv you get the whole thing for just one pound euro or dollar you can check it all out see if you like it in the meantime everyone enjoy this trip to the lofoten islands so here you go, we're just walking now past the uh, Lofoter Viking Museum. It is a pretty astonishing building. Tell me about this. It's actually a reconstruction of the biggest Viking house ever found in the world. And the biggest Viking house ever found in the world was found 40 meters away from where we have our reconstruction. Okay, so is this this indentation in the ground here? Yes. This is where it originally stood. Okay, so this is a huge... So there's a long... Well, it looks like a, the outline of a long house. There's a, bar, a barrow about half a metre high. A huge, huge rounded oblong stretching right across Summit, this hill. And it would have been... I mean, I urge people to go and check out my Instagram and, and Facebook. I'll post pictures. But this Viking longhouse that you've reconstructed is enormous. It's enormous. It's 83 metres long and 9 metres wide. And I believe 9 metres high under the ceiling also. Now, who lived in there? Was it a whole community or was it one family, one sort of royal noble family? Well, it was the Viking chieftain. We believe the last one was Olaf Tvenenbrune of Lofoder. And he would have been living here with his family and his mom most betrusted men and women or the closest people to him, whether they were family or not. Inside this house, we expect that 
40, maybe 50 persons could have been living. Half of the house was a cow stable, so there would be horses and cows also inside. So so it's not quite as enormous as it looks, because it's a barn as well. There is a barn as well. And the barn was also big. And you know, the Viking chieftain of Lofoten, he was very rich and mighty and powerful in any way. And inside the barn, we've actually found gold-plated harness belonging to a horse. Wow. We found so many valuable things in the earth here, but finding gold-plated harness for a horse, I think it tells a lot about the chieftain. And what sort of era? So we're standing now on the original longhouse, the foundations of the original longhouse. What, what period was this built? This was built, um, well, it's a bit hard to say because the first house came around 500 after the birth of Christ, and then there was it was uh, made bigger and longer and has been rebuilt and restructured a couple of times. But the house as we know it today, or as we see the reconstruction, it was probably around 900. So 900, so the Viking, what we call the Viking period, people from this, these islands, even high up in the Arctic, were attacking as far as England, Ireland and beyond. Sure, I believe they were. Because and, the Vikings... Have set, well, on the verge of settling Iceland and, and places across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Probably our last Viking chief living in this house, he left for Iceland. There is an Icelandic saga saying there came a man from Lofoter, Olaf was his name. And we know that Lofoter was the former name of this island uh, and has later given the name to the Lofoten Islands. And to take on a journey to travel to Iceland and conquer new land, you needed to have been rich and mighty. You needed to have a Viking ship and horses and money, so to say, the economic resources to resettle again. So chances are very, very good that our guy, Olaf, went for Iceland too. So we're now inside. Really, I can only compare it to, feels like a church, doesn't it? It's vast and it's echoey and it's a very dramatic space. Yes, it's, uh, it's has some sort of grandeur to it, I would say. It makes many, many people feel not small in that sense, but um, that there is something bigger than them somewhere. I feel a great peace in here because I think it's, it's wood, it's beautifully hand-carved. It, there's no plastic or metal anywhere. It just it's 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 a stunning palatial building, and all of the furniture is wood. It was all handmade, and mm-hmm. then there's obviously sheepskin, reindeer skin that you guys have produced locally up on the walls, which give mm-hmm. it a really cozy feel as well. Mm-hmm. You can imagine spending a winter in here, can't you? Oh, it's it's amazing. Just coming in there any day of the year, and especially during the winter when there is a fire going, there is the smell of smoke and tar, maybe the sounds of the craftsmen people working with something, the smell of food, and you can hear the weather is maybe terribly bad outside and you feel warm and cozy inside this building. It's it's a great place. Well, it's an amazing place and it's a great place for interpretation, presumably, because you've got, well, I've never been to a better Viking museum than this in terms of the buildings and things available. I, visitors, tourists, school children must love this. We get a lot of very good feedback, yes. Uh, we do. Uh, people tell us every day how much they love the museum and how much they love the Viking Age history and how much they learn. That is a bit amazing to them because we often hear about the Vikings only as conquerors and and, and, and with fighting uh, situations. But there is so much more to it and you get a glimpse of it when you enter the museum. I've been working on the Vikings now for about a year on various projects and I'm really struck by what extraordinary crafts people they were. Mm. And, and whether it's the ships or this remarkable building here, mm. you think these guys were phenomenally good at working with wood and metal yes. uh, and they had to be because they had to survive some pretty uh they had to survive some pretty tricky climate 
Yes, they had they they were excellent craftspeople, and they had to make use of the resources they had. Wood was not plentiful on the Lofoten Islands, but it was not too far uh, to cross the Vestfjord to import the big trees needed for the kind of work we see around here. So, how are these big pine? Uh, these are big trunks of pine trees. Would they be the central pillars? Yes, uh, these uh, what we see here are the central pillars, uh, and they are bearing the roof here. And they are well. They're probably a good nine, nine, ten meters high. Yeah. Uh, and they're thick, and they've got beautiful carved decorations in them. Mm. Uh, and they would have been once mighty trees in the Norwegian northern forests. The workings were also very skilled with textile work and with metal work. You should see some of the, or you have probably seen already, some of the, the things that they are making. Rings, jewelry, um, sword grips, whatever they could make or produce of metal. It's so rich with ornaments and it's so detailed that it's hard to understand that we could have made it even today. What I think I'm, I'm learning about the Vikings is, is that the modern mind, we're obsessed with the idea that the water represents a barrier and we think the Lofoten mm. Islands are a long way from Britain. Mm. In fact, of course, the, these people were at the centre of a trading network. They were on the sea. They could travel extensively. They could trade. They were actually in the centre of the world. They were. They were uh, due to their sailing abilities. And within just a few days, they could have reached from Lofoten to England. To, great, uh, to, to Central Europe, to wherever there is water. They would have sailed in just a few days. So back then, this wouldn't feel isolated. This would feel... No. It is the top of the world, I would have to say that, but it's a very rich part of the world when it came to resources. So it's easy to understand why people decided to live here. There was plenty of fish in the sea, other marine life uh, that you could live off. There would be game in the forests and, and lots of... Well, natural resources that would be sought after in other parts of the world and could make for a good living here. Well, speaking of good living, I'm coming to a Viking feast here tonight. So I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to that. What can I expect? Well, you will expect, of course, beautiful Viking women and handsome Viking men. Uh, the best of food is being served and, of course, the golden meat, the drink of the gods. <laughs> Standing at the stern now with the captain of this ship, you are dressed in the finest Viking clothing. Yes, I'm uh, dressed correct. So, what are you? What? Because those you're wearing leather trousers. But is this is this this is correct for for seafarers? Is it? Yes, you have to have something who's uh, stopping the wind. So, um, I have uh, two levels of cotton under, and then I have leather outside, and it's um, uh, oil on it. So the leather is. Um, Stopping the water. And today, there's about three knots of wind, it's beautiful blue sky, the sun's out, so we don't need uh, full protective clothing. But have you worn that in, in tough conditions, in big seas and when it's wet? Oh, you, you need uh, warm uh, clothes and you need leather outside. So, for stopping the wind and the, the rain. And, uh, and you have to move, you have to use your body in a ship like this, so then you keep warm. Okay, well, let's talk about this ship, because she's an absolute beauty. She's a long ship. What, what is she based on? She's a replica, but what, what's she based on originally? She's uh, based on the, the Goksta ship, uh, who is uh, from nearby Oslo, west for Oslo. It's a ship who uh, was in use uh, around 900. And it's, uh, she's 
23 and a half meter long and uh, five and a half meter wide and we use uh, around eight ton with ballast in her and uh, the mast is 18 and a half meter is she a ship for war or for trade it's a combination ship it's a early ship early viking ship so this ship you can use as a as a warship but you can also use it as a uh, trading ship she can have as i said a lot of uh, ballast so you can uh, you can uh, travel to the big markets in europe with a ship like this but uh, if you need her for a a war you could uh, use 32 men for all her and uh, you can use the big sail 120 square meters who is uh, giving a good speed you can sail up to 50 knots without problem 15 knots that's fast that's fast. Wow. And, and, uh, and yeah, you notice we've got, we got a little uh, holes here along the, the edges of the hull for oars. We're sailing at the moment. They would have tried to sail. The rowing would have been exhausting, wouldn't it? So the crew would have tried to sail where possible. Yeah, it's hard to, to row for many hours, but you have to change the rower. So if you have uh, 65 persons, you can change. One hour or two. Then you need uh, to rest a little bit. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Lewis, historian and host of a new chapter of the Echoes of History podcast. If you're an Assassin's Creed fan, and like me, want to be prepared for the launch of Assassin's Creed Shadows later this year, join us on Echoes of History as we head to feudal Japan to explore the real-life history that inspired the latest game from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quinn's is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. So how many, how many people would have been, how many crew would have been aboard this? Uh, when you are sailing, you need around 13 persons. You need eight persons to take up the sail, and you need somebody else around in the ship to handle it. Uh, but if you're going on a long journey, it's better to be more people. 
if you are going to take up and down the sail when the, the rest is uh, sleeping. And for rowing. Uh, so uh, we don't know how many there was, but we believe around 20 when they was on the journeys up to, uh, to the White Sea. In the spring they were sailing up to the White Sea and they was um, trading with the Sami people who was living there, the hunters who was hunting whale and seal and whalerus. And um, they was uh, buying all this uh, skin from these uh, marine animals and they was uh, making uh, oil of the fat. And uh, then they were sailing south to Lofoten and catch up uh, all the dried cod who was hanging around Lofoten. You know, Lofoten. Yeah, no, I've, as I drive around the Lofoten Islands, I'm seeing hanging cod everywhere. It's all, all drying in the sun. We have done uh, this for uh, for more than a thousand years. And uh, after that, they were sailing to the big markets in Europe and also to, uh, to, to Britain. So then they load up with uh, the dried cod from here and they go south. Then they was going south to uh, the big markets in uh, in Europe, to uh, to England, maybe to to Ireland, and uh, to um, the markets in uh, Denmark and uh, Norway and uh, North Germany. How long would it take in a ship like this to get from here to say Scotland? Depends on the wind, but if you are going in uh, May or June. It's northeast, uh, so um, then you have the wind on the beam, and yeah, you have wind from behind. Actually, from behind, yeah, behind, and it's very good conditions for that. So you don't need so, to use so long time. Maybe uh, a week. A week. So, so this would, although this feels like we're on the edge of the world now. In fact, this would have been very connected with the rest of the world. Yes, they had very good connection with the rest of the world. We can see it at the. Uh, um, the archaeological um, uh, proves here in Lofoten that they had um, uh, very very good contact to uh, to England and uh, to France. We have uh, uh, drinking glass from France. We have uh, jewelries and uh, many proofs that we had very good contact with the rest of Europe. Now you guys are all looking amazing. You're dressed in your Viking gear. We're out in this Viking ship. Are the people of Lofoten proud of their Viking heritage? It's something people learn about in school, learn about in the family. Yes, uh, they are very proud of it. Uh, but it has been under communicated in Norwegian history before, but now it's coming more and more, and the whole world want to be a part of it. Yeah, everyone's fascinated. And would the lords of the Lofoten Islands up here, would they have been uh, going on the great Viking expeditions to, to England, to Scotland, to Ireland, uh, going as conquerors as well? Yes, the saga story about uh, the kings and the, and the lords in the northern part of Nor Norway tells us that they was everywhere. They were sailing direct from Lofoten to England to, uh, to uh, King Knut and asked him for help to the battle of uh, Stiklestadir when they was taking the king, Olaf. They were you know, powerful men in the kingdom of Norway. And they was. And uh, they had a, like a parliament. They was uh, gathering um, one or two times each year here in Lofoten that it was decided how they were going to um, do things. 
and if they had problems, they was meeting there. When you guys are out sailing this ship, is it about learning? Do you learn things all the time about how the the Viking Age mariners, how they would sail, how they'd survive in the high seas? I mean, it must be like uh, living archaeology, this. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, if you stand on a museum, you see a boat like this, yeah, you can think a lot of uh, dreams. You can dream about how it was. But when you start to use it, then you see the, the problems and you have to uh, um, learn how to do it. It's not so easy to handle a lady like this. Uh, what I love is I, I, I'm a sailor back in England and I recognise many of your old Norse words you're using, like make it fast or bowling. I can recognise them in Norwegian as a sailor from, from England. So it's a very... Uh, it, 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 for, for me, it feels like the distances have been shortened because of the language. It's quite similar. Uh, it, and it's still in our language. The old people use this terminology in the, in the, the original language. But, you know, it was nearly died out when we start to use it around for 20 years ago. So you've done an important job saving that oral history. Yeah. And uh, now we have a similar in language you use in uh, Sweden and Denmark. And they also use it in England if they have, have a boat like this on Balticum. Yeah. Everybody is using the same uh, little story. Well, the nice thing is we've now got a little breeze coming in from our starboard side. And it's, the sail's just about filling. It's a, it's a beautiful day here, isn't it? How many days like this? It's actually hot. It's almost flat calm. The snow is on the peaks. It, the sun is out. Is this normal for the uh, sailing in the Arctic? Uh, not in April, but you can never know. Yeah. It could have uh, blowed like hell today. You see here on my top of my head. Sometimes <laughs> it's like a devil outside. <laughs> What I love about these Viking ships is they were easy to make with the right skills and, and what was available here at the time. They didn't need, you didn't need stuff from outside. No, you, but here you had to go into the mainland to find wood for, for okay. a ship like this. What is the plank you made of in, on the sides? Uh, plank is uh, pain, but it's oak, the ribs and the keel. The ribs and the keel are oak, so the backbone is oak, then pine planking. Yeah, yeah. And, and the ropes, where do we get the ropes? The rope is hemp? The hemp, yeah, and horse tail too. Really? And then the sail? The sail is uh, from lean. Le okay, Lily, okay. And uh, what about the colouring on the sail? The colour on the sail is um, uh, ochre, fresh ochre, the yellow one. And uh, the red one is uh, burned ochre. But that's not enough. You need oil, you need salt in this uh, paint and uh, it's uh, you know it's stopping the wind so the wind is not going through this uh, material what I respect so much about the, the Viking Age mariners is they were phenomenal navigators but also boat builders as well they had to know how to create their own vessels and repair them yes and um, it's not so easy to uh, build a Viking ship like this and uh, so you have to um, have to uh, be a good boat builder you have to be a good sailor and you have to be a good navigator to uh, do this and you have to maybe do it for many gen generations to discover all the secrets about these boats 
what I like about the navigation, we can see it today, it's clear skies above the sea, but you've got the clouds there above the mainland. So those are actually useful navigational aids, aren't they? If you could see those puffy clouds, you know that land's over the horizon. You don't even have to see the land itself. No. And, um, and, but they also was using the sun, you know. They was experts for uh, sea on the, on the sea stream. The sea grass, is it fresh or is it old? Uh, which way is the birds flying in the morning and in the afternoon? And they was looking at the stars. And maybe they have a sun watch they was using to follow the shadow of, uh, of the sun. They, they are, I think, the most remarkable maritime civilization ever. Perhaps them and the South Pacific, the Polynesians. I mean, it's... It, it's extraordinary. A thousand years ago, they were able to sail across the Atlantic and, and make accurate landfalls and things. Uh, they had to be very good navigators. You know, if you're sailing from Lofoten to Iceland for hunting seals and whales in the start of the 800s, it's not so easy to find Iceland. Iceland, it's not so big. So you, you have to be a good navigator to find back again. <laughs> Hi everyone, it's me, Dan Snow. Just a quick request. It's so annoying and I hate it when other podcasts do this, but now I'm doing it and I hate myself. Please, please go onto iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. It really helps, basically boosts up the chart, which is good. And then more people listen, which is nice. So if you could do that, I'd be very grateful. I understand if you don't subscribe to my TV channel. I understand if you don't buy my calendar, but this is free. Come on, do me a favor. Thanks. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favor. Don't forget, you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe. As a special gift, you can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code Dan Snow at checkout.